Looking to implement a robot in your pharmacy? Great. I continue our pharmacy automation series, giving you an armchair ride to Greg Kadoran's pharmacy group, who have now ordered their second robot. Welcome to the Transformation Show, where successful pharmacy owners and technology partners help you to build a better 21st century pharmacy by embracing technology. Here is your host, Robert Starr. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of Transformation. It's great to have you back again. It's been a terrific week and uh, our audience, would you believe, has grown again to 23 countries in our last month, which is an extraordinary number. I did promise in the last episode that we'd talk about, and I'd name every one of the 23 countries because you're all just as important as our listeners in Australia as well. We have listeners in the United States, Canada, New Zealand, Philippines, Hungary, United Kingdom, Netherlands, Ireland, Nigeria, Lebanon, Malaysia, India, Portugal, Germany, Spain, Austria, Jordan, Bulgaria, Oman, Nepal, Japan, and lucky last, the United Republic of Tanzania. It is fantastic to have you guys on this show. I really do appreciate the support, and uh, I look forward to uh, getting some questions from you guys along our journey together. In the, in the news this week, uh, in Australia, um, we've got our electronic health record being rolled out in the last couple of years and uh, there were some big changes being tipped, um, have been put forward to our health minister, Peter Dutton, and uh, it, include, it was a report that was um, put together and they had about 38 recommendations, which are including renaming the PCEHR as My Health Record, centralising the systems operation to the Department of Human Services, uh, the central body NETA to be dissolved and replaced by a commission for e-health reporting directly to the Standing Committee on Health. Um, and the biggest possible change that could have happened there is a transition out of the opt-out model. Uh, for those who haven't been aware, um, everyone in Australia, it was an opt-in situation. You could choose to have a controlled electronic health record, thus the name personally controlled electronic health record. That's going to be looking to be phased out by the 1st of July 2015. So for those patients in Australia that haven't opted out by that date, uh, they will by default be given a electronic health record. There also is a very strong um, indicator that the uptake of the electronic health record by health clinicians also needed to be stronger as well. Some statistics that I got hold of about a fortnight ago had us having 1.5 million registrations um, processed for the personally controlled electronic health record, uh, but only about 6,000 active users, which is an incredibly small number. So they're looking to incentivise clinicians, particularly um, the GPs and other, other medical practitioners, to include the use of the personal or the electronic health record in their daily practice so that they will be funded through the EPIP mechanism uh, for actually having actual usage and writing to the electronic health record as well. Um, so, and also some changes to the uh, Medicare number. But look, it's, it's a huge amount to consider, um, particularly as pharmacists. We're as ready as any profession at the moment with the agency of ERX and MediSecure and PBS Online. And to hear a bit more about that, you may remember a couple of episodes back, I was talking about an e-health conference uh, at um, CBIT Australia. We're actually going to have George Tambassas come on the show in a couple of weeks uh, to give us directly his insights from that conference and um, get really, from, from George's opinion, exactly where we're actually at as a profession as well with the uh, electronic health record. So that'll be a great interview to look forward to. The interview that we have this week uh, is Greg Kadoran. Uh, Greg is a pharmacy owner, his own pharmacy since the age of 22 and also from about 1999. He's travelled around the state to find his opportunities and he's a big believer for a lifelong learning in pharmacy and that the uh, older you get, the, the less you, the more you realise you don't know, so you continue learning. He's a great exponent of that. He's got his own blog, mydispenserobot.wordpress.com and he talks about installation tips all the way through to action seeing it in action and you can actually see some YouTube videos of Greg dispensing with the robot by his side and also the loading stock mechanism as well. 
So I think we'll all get a great benefit from listening to Greg. He's gone through a lot of detail in his own implementation, and I'm sure that's something that you as the motivated pharmacy owner are going to take away and be able to implement into your pharmacy if you are already considering putting a robot in your pharmacy. Good morning, Greg Kadoran, and welcome to the uh, Transformation Show. Great to have you this morning. Morning, Robert. It's nice to be here. It's a lovely day outside, so good day to sit around and have a chat before I actually go to work. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Greg, uh, just um, just to give our listeners a little bit of a background, they've just heard in the introduction a little bit about your career, but uh, when you left university, um, what did you imagine your first pharmacy would look like? Um, and did it originally involve the utilisation of technology, or is that sort of something that you evolved along the time continuum? Yeah, well, it's it, it's something that has evolved you know, fairly rapidly if you think about the actual time span. Uh, I essentially couldn't wait to get out of university. Um, I just wanted to get on with life and I heard that people were making all this money and I want to get out and get some of that. Um, so realistically, my, my only criteria initially was that I was going to make some money. Uh, when I did first buy my, my very first pharmacy in 1999, if you want to think about it on a technological level, they were doing their um, their orders via PDE on the little handheld PDE machines that you then plugged into a modem and sent your order to uh, Faldings at the time. Yep. Uh, and the pharmacy didn't even actually own a fax machine. We used to go over to the news agent to send a fax if we wanted to. So um, it was probably a few years after that that we even got email. So in terms of technology, you know, the sort of stuff we're doing now was not even sort of imaginable at that time for but certainly not for me yeah no absolutely and certainly a lot less noisy uh those old uh, dot matrix printers and the uh, dial-up modem speeds and uh, yeah look it's interesting I think those PDAs are still are still around with some of the wholesalers if uh, there are a few uh, listeners who still may be using them but I'm um, sure there's a few diehards out there <laughs> yeah ab- ab- absolutely and uh, I suppose it will uh, probably stick around probably as long as our fax machines perhaps um, and uh, Greg um where you see technology at the moment, um, you know, you're quite quite a big advocate for it as well. You've got your own blog, the uh, My Dispense uh, Robot blog, and we'll put a link on that on the uh, on the on our blog site so our listeners can uh, uh, get hold of it. But um, obviously, the journey at the moment is around looking and uh, assessing dispense robots. And obviously, last year, your business partner and yourself went to Adelaide to have a look at one of the robots there. Yeah, well, we've implemented the robot uh, into to our, our biggest store at the moment, uh, and we've got another one on order for for our new store. Um, and that's sort of only one one avenue of of what we're chasing as well. Though I think in terms of technology, we're being asked in the industry to do more with less all the time. Um, and you know, my my big thing with pharmacies since um, you know basically since I started in 1999 is I know customers. Hate to wait. I mean, personally, I'm a I'm a very impatient customer, um, so it's always been a, a thing of mine to make sure the systems are right to be able to serve the customers as quickly as possible. Um, and at the same time, you need to make the time to be able to provide them the service that they need, whether or not necessarily they they know that they need it. Um, so the robot was part of that. The um, yeah, our dispensary was getting busier and busier over the years. Um, yeah, we're Certainly not the busiest pharmacy in the world, but we uh, we do a, a fair volume of prescriptions. It's about thirty five hundred a week. Um, so in order to manage that and also provide a quality service to the customer, where it doesn't look like you're just running around pulling your hair out, um, we really needed to um, make our processes as smooth as possible. And, and our manual processes had sort of come to their limits. Um, when you looked at the dispensary, it was. It was manic. People were sort of falling over each other, getting to stock on the shelves, and there was one person putting stock away and another person walking around then to get the stock off the shelf. And the pharmacist had big piles of prescriptions in front of them to check and running out to the um, to the counter every so often to to um, to counsel or, or, or you know inquire with a customer about an issue. Um, so yeah, really something needed to improve, and uh, it was really a a coincidental thing that I happened to be sitting in a meeting where uh, the robots were discussed that sort of got me thinking, well, maybe this could be the solution to, to what we need to do to improve the business. 
Mm, absolutely. And look, obviously, sometimes it is quite severe things that happen in store to, I guess, spark the action and the process. But uh, did you get to, a, a, I guess, a, a process or a granular level as where you looked at your processes and the business and said, look, you know, pharmacy automation could generate? Did you look at time in motion studies or any of those types of things? <laughs> We had had um, – I'd spoken to people in the past that had looked at those sort of things years ago um, and had sort of by their assessment decided that it wasn't really quite worth it at that time. Um, but it really wasn't something that we set out to do so much as the opportunity came up and as we assessed it more and more, the it seemed to be the right thing for us. Um, so I guess in a way you could probably say we were lucky, sort of right place, right time and then took advantage of that, that idea that sprang up. Um, in terms of actually assessing it, we sort of looked at you know how many people it required to do the job um, and what parts of that job would be removed when we put you know one of the different systems in place um, rather than yeah you know, there was no scientific sit down with a stopwatch and watch that person do that prescription and work out the different things. It was sort of a matter of okay we've got three people in dispensary doing this if the person didn't wasn't required to get the stock off the shelf and assemble it, um, then that would save X amount of you know, time in that process. Hmm. And, if the, and if the uh, staff weren't required to put the stock on the shelves, then that required, you know, saved another amount of time. Um, so I guess if you were looking at it very scientifically, we've worked almost backwards. Um, hmm. But And also, I guess in terms of a lot of these things, I, I think of myself in these, these ways more of an artist than a scientist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we went down to have a look at the the installations in Adelaide it wasn't so much we could say okay this is really good because it say will save this amount of time per hour or per day or per month um, and it'll do this 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 and this it was you looked at a pharmacy that was doing a massive number of, of prescriptions at the time we were watching it and it was calm and the staff the technology worked so well that you didn't actually see the interaction between the staff and the technology unless you've looked very hard for it. And I think, you know, that's probably the an indicator of a technology working really well. Um, it's not the staff working hard to make that t- technology work. Mm. It's the technology works in with the process that you, you have to put in place. Absolutely. And I think uh, Apple are very well renowned for uh, their claim is it just works and I think everyone you know who's experienced uh, any Apple product can certainly attest to that is that they've made the complicated look very simple and um, often in this type of environment you can identify strong technology by seeing the user's interaction and enjoyment of it so now that that's that's a great great insight I guess um when, when pharmacy owners are looking at the uh, robots and often um, the most exposure that they get to uh, the, the robots may be at an APP conference or something where you can physically see the, uh, the, the machines. And I, I think the, the first consideration is obviously cost and, um, you know, looking at declining revenues, um, they start to wonder, well, we're struggling at the moment. How do we make it work? Um, like, I, I guess in, in that type of environment, and I imagine, you know, you would have had these com- um, conversations internally. Um, what type of advice would you offer um, to anyone considering that, I guess, from a financial standpoint? Yeah. Well, I guess, I guess the first thing to note is probably not to listen too carefully to anything that any of the vendors say. I mean, you don't take your real estate advice from a real estate agent. No. Um, so, you know, they'll all give you models so you can you can increase this and you can increase that. And by doing this, you'll have X amount of new revenue and so on and so forth. Um, I politely listened to all of that and then pretty well ignored it. Um, essentially, it's, it's – and they all like to say, oh, no, you're not going to um, replace your, your existing staff um, – with this, you're not going to um, you know, have job losses or anything like that, which is important to manage, especially when you install the machine because you, you obviously don't want to put your existing staff off-site because they're the ones that are going to need to use it. Um, but in terms of financing the machine, we've, um, we've uh, we financed ours uh, with lease finance over only five years, yep. uh, and then we've got the, um, the maintenance payments um, on top of that. So... We did it over five years mainly because I think 
things aren't going to get any easier. So we sort of hopefully pay for the bulk of this saving in the first five years while there is still some money to be made. And then we'll continue to make the savings in the following five (coughs) years uh, whilst the machine's still under warranty. But, you know, we won't be paying for it, but we will be making the savings in that time. Mm. Um, So essentially, it's a matter of working out where, you know, your cost savings in the business can be um, and, hopefully you know tallying them up to say okay well that adds up to equal at least um, the amount that it's going to cost you to Mm. implement the machine now when we work out our cost savings we actually come up about ten thousand dollars ahead of what's costing us per year including having it paid it off in five years at the moment but all those things are going to vary on obviously your script volume the number of pharmacists and dispense techs you currently employ um, and the growth rate in script numbers of your pharmacy so um, it's it's easy to say, oh, we couldn't save you know, the number of hours that would be required to pay for the machine mm-hmm. at our current script volume. Um, but if, you, if your dispensary is growing, then you can always um, use the maths to say, well, whilst I can't necessarily cut a pharmacist because maybe I've only got one pharmacist, um, so and you need that one, that one pharmacist to open the doors. Uh, if your prescription volume is growing, then it'll be that, amount extra time before you actually need to employ an additional pharmacist or an additional dispense tech Mm. um and i mean there is there is something to be said for you know the machines getting the pharmacist out to the customer a lot easier um i know i mean a lot of your listeners will have worked in pharmacies where you know life is just ridiculously hectic and if the systems don't work properly the pharmacist spends most of their time just dealing with making sure the prescriptions go out rather than you know a lot of um i guess clinical care for the, for the customers that are, that are waiting on those prescriptions um once you can actually dull down the, the the manic activity in the dispensary it gives the pharmacist a lot more time to consider their professional role and, and to spend that time with the customers yeah look absolutely and i think it's just getting the pharmacist away from the logistics and more into the clinical forum and i guess before we dive into implementation and to how you got that how you implemented into the pharmacy successfully um just a little bit more about um readiness and preparation um i imagine you know putting a robot into a pharmacy is probably one of the largest purchases the pharmacy owner will make and also an investment in the changing business model that involves putting a robot in there because the functionality it gives the business is so much uh, greater than anything manual to consider that you do need to obviously have a look at that. So did you look at every manufacturer available and I guess how did you go about your due diligence of selecting the right uh, robot for your pharmacy? Yeah, well, we looked at, initially we looked at the two. We looked at the um, the Willark, the Consus machine um, and we looked at the, the rower. Since we've... Uh, We've implemented the one in um, in our Warilla store. We've we've looked also at um, the Goldman Go Compact, um, but I believe that is there a fourth one as well that I've not even yeah. Th- there is one other, the Robo Farmer. Yeah, so I've not actually yeah. seen that, so yeah. I can't can't really make any comment yeah. on that. Um, initially, compared to the Consus, um, I was fairly keen to g- go ahead and buy a Consus when when I had my discussions with them initially before seeing the rower. Um, the biggest difference between the two machines is the automation of where the stock goes into the machine. Um, they, in terms of dispensing a prescription, each machine, as far as I could tell, would work fairly well the same. Um, the rower puts all your um, all your stock into the machine for you automatically. Um, well, they can do depending on the options you get, but yes. ours certainly does. We've got the the big prologue unit at the back or you can get an internal one um but essentially the workings on the inside the consus is very much like a vending machine where each um item has its own chute um and you've got to put that item into that chute and it has to come out of that chute for the robot to know that it's there um the problem that sort of i foresee and having spoken to some of the owners of these machines is that with the change of the you know, makeup of the dispensary in terms of a new generic comes out or a new product comes out where a new product needs to go into the machine, then that needs to be changed manually. Whereas in the rower, the products are kept um, 
randomly, essentially, on the on the shelf. Um, the robot remembers where they all are. You don't have any say or, or need to have any say in what shelf which product goes onto. It actually optimizes itself to put the products closest to the shoots, which are the fastest moving products, and products which are, are less fast moving go sort of maybe yeah, a meter or so further away from the shoot, and it also remembers which order it puts the products in, so mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about rotating stock. It, uh, it will take the first product that goes in first rather so if you put in a hundred lipitor this week and then another one next week it'll take those hundred before it takes the the one that you've put in yeah. later so you so it essentially rotates your stock for you um and in terms of putting in a new product that's never been in there before um the only thing you need to do is to scan the barcode and put the product in the machine um and the robot will actually do the rest um so so it was actually the that side of it which swung us a long way towards the rower rather than the, the Willark um, in that regard. Um, also, everyone we spoke to who had the rower was yeah, glowing in its praise, um, whereas I sort of I know some people who have uh, the Willark machine who were a lot less than glowing, and some of them offered to give it to me. So mm-hmm. yeah, that obviously is never a very good endorsement for a product. No. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was, it was basically... In terms of spitting products out, I think all the machines will do that because that's their primary function. It's, yes. it's a matter of where else um, it can cause you savings and, and what the processes around actually maintaining the, the machine are. Um, you don't want to save save time on the dispensing end to cause yourself grief on the on the loading or the, or the um, order marking off or anything like that. Mm, no, ab- ab- absolutely. And so, look, it, it, it is a large due diligence process, and I think from what from what you've spoken about, talking to existing owners and their personal experience, um, you know, nothing really beats getting that and actually living it in their own pharmacies as well. So I think you know that going through those criteria. Aside from stock loading, did you have in your own mind any set criteria as to how how it was going to be implemented in the pharmacy and things that you were looking for when you viewed those pharmacy sites like maybe footprint or power requirements or number of shoots, um, um, future capabilities? Were, were there any other bits of criteria that you had a look at? In terms of future capabilities, when we, when we purchased the robot, we actually purchased it a little bit bigger than what we would need to put all of our stock into. So essentially, if we double our prescription numbers again, we can still keep most of the stock inside the machine. Um, you know, if, if we did double prescription numbers, we'd probably need to start keeping some bulk stock of you know, things that we've got large numbers of outside of the, the machine and load them in gradually. But essentially, we've, we've made sure we're not going to be you know, five years down the track and only being able to keep half the stock in the machine. Um, in terms of footprint, none of them are small um, and essentially most of them you would need to refit at least your dispensary completely to to fit them in Um, so that's another consideration when you're looking at the cost you've got Mm. the cost of the unit but then also the cost of making that unit fit in your dispensary and and work that way Um, they're all very flexible in terms of the output um, solutions that you've got whether it's a, a chute or a conveyor belt that goes over the back of your shop or a spiraling chute that comes down from an upstairs unit um, so that really wasn't a it wasn't a factor between one one unit or another because we could pretty much um, model that to, to what we wanted the outcome to be for our dispensary um, what was the other thing you asked about uh, we'll, we'll come back to it. The, I, th- I think it was just more about what criteria and scoring that you, you had. So it, it, I think power requirements, it might have been yeah. just power requirements and other yeah. things that may... Well, that, and power was something we didn't consider at all. Yeah. Um, but the, the the other thing that did swing us um, a long way towards the the rower unit rather than the Willark was the, the fact that we could put virtually every product in, inside the rower. Um, whereas... With the Willark machine, because there's a set number of shoots, we could only put a certain number of lines in. Yes. Now, that number of lines can add up to yeah, between 60 and 85% of your dispense volume, but it still means you've got a large number of those slower lines which aren't loaded into the, 
the machine. Whereas, you know, we'll have something that we dispense once every two months. It's, it's just sitting in there uh, in the machine alongside everything else. So we don't have to have different rules for different products. Mm, the only thing we didn't put in there was the refrigerated lines. Yep. Um, you can get a refrigerated unit, but the difference in cost of that I didn't think was viable um, for the, the sake of not walking to the fridge. Um, it was about 10 times the price of a fridge. So um, we decided to go without that at, at this time. And we've just got two of the normal um, Rolex fridges. Hmm, absolutely. And just on another angle in terms of preparation, because I think that's where pharmacy owners really need to be 100% comfortable. At what points in the preparation before you made the decision, um, did you involve um, your other team members? Obviously, the other owners perhaps may have been involved, but um, did the team themselves, um, dispensary technicians, pharmacy assistants, were they aware that you were looking at pharmacy automation? Yeah, we're actually really lucky. We've got a a really strong uh, team that's been with me um, pretty much since the time that I, I started in this business, sort of eight and a half years ago. Um, and obviously, my partner joined me halfway through that time. So, you know, our dispensary manager and our retail manager certainly are sort of key to the successful running of our business. Um, so, if, when we first started looking at them, we sort of would bounce things off the, especially the dispensary manager. Say, what do you think of this? You know, how would this affect the way you do your job? Um, and you know, we certainly took on board things that she said, no, no, I don't like that. Um, that's stupid. Um, or yeah, that'd be really good. Um, so obviously, she's the one. At the end of the day, we're going to do all our homework and make sure it works well. But at the end of the day, she's going to be driving. So um, you know, she's got to be able to to do it and um, and happy that it's actually going to improve her situation, not make it harder. Mm. And even if it's not that particular person, you've you, by making the job of your staff harder, it's obviously not going to improve your efficiencies. Um, the whole the whole idea is to make the job of your staff easier, which keeps your staff happy as well. Which is because I get because I guess one of the burning questions that may be on our pharmacy owners' lips is that when you consider automating something, and as we've seen this in many other industries, um, that perhaps the knee-jerk reaction, if uh, there's I guess not informed and not understanding of the process of what how automation is going to improve the business, is that someone's job may be lost or someone's role may be halved because it's no longer required. Um, did you have any of those challenges at all? No, no, we didn't really, and I can see how that you you would have. the The difference, I guess, is that the business is always evolving so quickly. Whether that be what we're doing in the pharmacy in terms of health services and and uh, and, and other things that we're trying to engage the customers with, or whether it be the fact that you know, with us, our staff of of 20 plus you're always going to have a certain amount of, of turnover where people are coming and going and people's positions are, are fluid uh, so we didn't really have any problems with that we we did sort of sit down when we told them that the, the robot was coming and tell them you know how that's going to, to change roles and you know certain people would be concentrated more on, on customer service rather than dispensing roles and other people would be concentrated more on um uh, Webster packing, which is another area that we're we're very big into. Um, so, so it was never. I don't think there was ever really a worry between the staff that it was going to take hours from them, um, which is important. Um, so, I guess if you've got a an existing staff which has maybe been the same for many many years, and I've never had that situation, um, it would be a, you'd need to handle that in a different way. Mm. But um, no, it's it's not a problem we had, but obviously we we certainly did address it. So because it wasn't a problem that we wanted either. Okay, excellent. Uh, and let's let's get into the uh, implementation. So when when you did, when you decided, yep, um, the rower was going to be the one that you were going to implement. Um, how long did you have to wait? And also, when you were implementing it into the pharmacy, was that something that you project managed yourself? Did you have assistance with that? Um, did the team take particular roles in um, rolling it out? And obviously, you, you mentioned that it may have involved um, changing your dispensary layout as well. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. We... I, I certainly didn't project manage it myself. Um, sort of hand those roles over very quickly to to other people. Uh, we have we have a um, shop fit manager uh, who works with us in Bloom's Chemist who sort of works with the shop fitter. And then obviously we had a we did a um, a fairly significant 
renovation at the same time. Um, pulled out some walls and made the dispensary bigger and integrated our Webster packing area into the dispensary and so on. So it, w- it was a fairly large job. Um, we had to relocate our dispensary from where it was currently down into our fragrance and cosmetic section temporarily, um, which was a lot easier than it sounds. The the builders essentially put up some fake walls with the you know, MDF, um, and we had fast flow shelving previously, so we just took our shelves and hung them off these temporary walls, um, moved the office around the back of that wall, sitting in the window, smiling and waving to the customers walking past. Uh, and so our existing dispensary just fit piecemeal down into the front corner of the shop whilst the back half was all refit by the, the builders and then the um, the robot builders turned up to install that. Um, in terms of waiting time, it was, I think, th- three to four months from the time we said, yep, we're going to have this to the time that they turned up to install it. Um, and that's because they order each unit um, custom-made uh, from Germany, so they assemble it in Germany, make sure it works, deassemble it, put it on a boat and send it over to be to be assembled on site. Um, th- there were some things I think could be improved um, as I guess both shop fitters and and, um, and the, the robot providers get more experience in, in installing them. Um, there were some times where the the builder wanted to do certain work, but the you know, the German technician said, "Oh no, no, you can't do any work today. We've got to make sure there's no dust and that sort of thing." So I think there could be some better communication around um, at what points in the process yeah, other um, builders can have access to the site to do cert- certain jobs or, or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the whole, it all it all went fairly smooth. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess even on the technical aspect. Um as far as your dispense system, your point of sale system, were there any issues in getting the two to integrate well together? The the dispense system, no, it was, it was actually a lot easier than I thought. Um, the uh, unfortunately, the stock control of the robot itself doesn't integrate with the stock control of the point of sale, so you, you still need to maintain your point of sale. Um, stock control the same as if the stock was just sitting on a normally dispensary shelf Um, and in terms of speaking between the dispensary and and the robot everything just works off the product barcode so the end there was the few little hiccups that there were essentially were that um, our Fred software had an old or an incorrect barcode for that product so that when you dispensed it even though it was inside the robot it didn't spit out Hmm. but um, they provide a really easy to use um, interface where you just open that up. It says um, that the product's in there, and you just go in and fix the the barcode essentially. Um, spit it in. You can spit it out manually. You, know, you just press the button, and it'll, it'll spit that product out. So you dispense that that product for the, for the patient who's waiting for it, and then go into Fred and correct the barcode, and you're away. And obviously, you only ever have to do that once for that product. Yes, yes. So do, do they maintain the barcodes for every one of the dispensary products or is that a responsibility at the store level? Well, the barcodes um, for the dispensary products are put in sort of as the stock's received. Mm-hmm. So uh, as you put a product in, you'll, you'll scan the barcode. It'll recognize that barcode as a particular product and then that product will be taken into the system. Um, if there's a change of barcode and say that barcode isn't recognized by the robot, then you'll have to link that barcode to the product that it is. Um, but that's so rare that I don't actually know that mm. we've that we've done it. Um, and then, you know, barcodes in Fred are maintained by, by that software. Yes. But again, it's a very simple process to fix it if it's, if it's not correct. And I imagine with the uh, automatic loading that if it didn't recognize it, it would probably spit it out the back. And uh, Yeah. And it, when, with the automatic loading, it's, it's brilliant because it can work when you're not there. It can work when you're busy dispensing. It, it essentially just goes about its business like having a staff member to just, just do that function. But if anything goes wrong, it doesn't. Um, recognize the barcode or sometimes it picks up a product too close to the barcode with its little suction device so it can't actually read the barcode it, yeah essentially it just spits it back out and you refeed it feed it in so it, it tries again uh, occasionally a, a box will be half open or something inside the when it comes in the order or if it's placed in the um in the conveyor belt with the yeah the little tab at the end open um then that'll upset the dimensions that 
the robot expects to find when it scans that barcode. Um, but yeah, it just spits it out the front and you deal with those few instances um, yeah, as they come up. Mm, absolutely. And I guess, you know, up, up and running once it, once it was um, from order to implementation when you were able to dispense your first prescription and have the product delivered by it, what time frame were we were looking at there, Greg? Well, basically, dispensing was about a week after you know, the installation. So essentially, it was from the time you ordered the robot to the time you were dispensing with it was four months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, certainly uh, the boats don't get any quicker <laughs> over over the seas, but uh, you know you can certainly appreciate that that type of technology probably isn't suited to yeah. aer- aeroplane travel. Um, well, and at the same time, it actually takes you about that long to get everything else ready for you to to actually implement it anyway um yeah we've with our latest um one that we've ordered we've signed off on the configuration and had it ordered but we're still tinkering around with the the shop fit and it's still a few weeks off going out to tender and and that sort of thing so in big changes like that you really can't implement any faster anyway i think i think it's great that uh, obviously you've got another installation coming up and i think one of the best things that our listeners could probably take away is what did you learn from the first implementation that you're now doing in your second? Well, the, I guess the main thing was that it turned out we actually ordered our first one too big. Um, we, we thought we ran the right report to find out how many units of dispensary stock we, we normally kept in the, in the store, uh, and we overestimated that by about 50%. So it turns out that our Warilla robot will probably last us you know, 30 years rather than 10 mm-hmm. in terms of its storage capacity. Um, so we've made this one a little bit smaller. Um, and we, we also found with the like, with the way we placed the, the first robot, we probably wasted a little bit of space behind it. So we've tried to place this one uh, as best we can to sort of maintain the space um, for retailing rather than using up too much empty space around the outside of the robot. So it's all about you know, getting it in the right place. Um, and being but such a big unit, it is hard to to place it so that it makes sense with the rest of the with the rest of the shop. Um, and at, at, we we tried very hard not to make it that the rest of the shop was designed based around the robot rather than the robot fitting in in there. So um, it was basically those design things. And um, yeah, I mean, obviously, and obviously, it was easier because we already. All the hard decisions we made the first time, whether we have an internal prologue or an external prologue, and all those sort of things had already been made, and we were happy with the outcomes, so we've stuck with that. Mm, no, absolutely, and and obviously now that the, the original one's been in there for probably will be coming up to a year now. Um, how have you looked at perhaps optimizing how the robot may be used in the pharmacy? Have um, uh, the suppliers come the supplier come to you and said that um, you know you may benefit from this change or this change and um, and also to cover off on um, I guess optimizing it as well what has the support been like and have you had any um, breakdowns or any malfunctions that um, you know caused any significant stress sure um, well sort of two completely separate questions so I'll, I'll go with the yeah. second one first yeah um, in terms of support we have had a few small technical issues um and i think in this well it's probably nine months now one of those in the early days meant that we couldn't dispense for a period of time um but they've all been dealt with very very quickly i think you know the, the time when we couldn't dispense it was literally for about 20 minutes at 8 30 on a saturday morning um so yeah we have access to um our tech technician uh, who's responsible for our store um, on his mobile 24 hours a day, essentially. Um, and it gets um, pushed up the chain very, very quickly if it can't be solved. So, you know, it gets pushed up the chain from, you know, the initial technician to a, a more senior technician um, within Australia. And if then he can't solve the problem, essentially they jump on the phone to Germany and, and they can um, deal with the issue. And 99% of the stuff that, needs to be done to it um, can be done remotely so they dial into the computers and they change some settings and whatever and, and you're, you're off and away um, we haven't thankfully had any mechanical breakages um, 
when when you see the the machine work, it's a it's a very solid piece of machinery, probably you know equi- equivalent to an expensive German car. Mm. Um, so you expect it to work well, and from what I've heard, um, granted mainly from the the, the supplier, um, breakages of equipment uh, are most often due to um, people doing the wrong thing. So um, I know one of the guys we went to see in Adelaide had an issue because his staff left the ladder inside the robot and when the robot started working it just <laughs> smashed into it so yeah that that's obviously user error um yeah. but yeah and things like that so I, another one he had his was a little bit out so smashed up some glass shells but you know again they get working very very quickly yeah um and they've even got um i think they've got battery life so they can work for four hours once a um if you've got a blackout so, but I mean, per- personally, I said, well, oh, that's not really relevant because if I have a blackout, I'll close the shop and <laughs> go, go and have a coffee. Yeah. Because um, we can't see the customers. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, in terms of the support, I, I would I would say it's probably the best support of any supplier of any product that I've ever used. Um, so, yeah, couldn't be couldn't be happier there. Mm. Uh, in terms of the, the other question, in terms of what the suppliers have suggested in yeah, just in terms of op- op- optimizing. So, like, obviously, having that uh, close to a year of nearly any year's experience, um, whether there was any physical changes that they'd recommended, or even perhaps even procedural changes to how you your workflow works around the robot. Yeah, no, well, no, actually, no, there really hasn't been um, any of that. It's well, essentially, I just bought the second robot over the phone and said, "I want another one. Um, this is what I want. Give me a price." Yeah. Um, but I guess before you get to that stage, they have made changes along the way that have um, been probably crucial to us in the way that we operate the pharmacy. They they wrote a whole new um, component for their, their IT to export um, information so it could be implemented into our um, stock takes that we do that you know, our, our Bloom stock take would come around once every six to or three to six months and do that. So they've made the machine so it'll work in with that process and uh, yeah that was something that wasn't just a run-of-the-mill IT function they mm. they had somebody sit down and, and spend the time to write that that module um, so in that in that regard they've made the changes to fit in with us um, and obviously they've, they've done that on the basis that that's going to be useful for other customers as well um, so yeah I mean they really are interested in making the, the unit work as well as it can within the pharmacy so it sort of wasn't a matter of oh by the way now that you're going to buy another one we've got this other idea <laughs> so if, if something else in the meantime was was going to happen they would have already pushed it out to us and, and let us know about it yeah you know, ab- absolutely and i guess just to go to the lighter side of this greg i, I know that uh, some pharmacy owners with robots have uh, gone to great lengths of having their robot named and getting their customers to vote on the name and to really uh you know create a bit of fanfare around it have you have you done that at yours we we did. We've got a, a a VIP mailing list that we we speak to about twelve hundred of our customers monthly, and uh, we we put it in there. So we've got this machine coming, and we need a name for it. Um, I've got to say, a lot of the names were pretty pretty sad. Um, so we ended up going with Spencer. <laughs> so it's Spencer that are the Spencer. Oh, very very good. And uh, of, the, of the staff, I know that there were it was one in Adelaide, and it might have been one of the ones you've seen who were wearing t-shirts with the robot's name on it. Uh, have you gone to that that length? Yeah, no, we haven't. The staff all love it, but we haven't sort of. Uh, I guess we'll have to have a birthday cake soon. Um, <laughs> we haven't done any of that sort of thing as yet. Uh, very good. And how, how have the customers been uh, responsive to it? Uh, were they simply blown away initially um and have you taken any customers on the tour on a tour of what's behind the scenes we, we have we the, the same vip customers that were invited to name it um got an invitation in their in their newsletter to, to come and have a look and the few that took us up on that um were, were blown away uh the cu- average customer that works in walks into the ph- uh, pharmacy unfortunately really doesn't notice um we, we've got uh, computer screens up now that, that actually show the internal working so people can see it but the fact that it, it fits in you know, as I was saying you know, it fits in with the workflow so well people actually unless they were looking for it wouldn't notice that there's a robot working in the background it's, um, it's very 
unimpressive in that way. You know, maybe we need to put some arms on it that just move around randomly on the front um, <laughs> so that people think it's special. But yeah, all the special stuff happens behind the scenes. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And uh, just um, casting your mind ahead, Greg, and uh, you know, getting, uh, the, I think there was a statistic that perhaps there's still, still just uh, just under about 600 pharmacies in Australia that have taken up automation, and you know, it's still a very small statistic considering the 5,500-odd pharmacies. Um, what's, what would you say is the biggest game-changing technology outside of automation? You, you're already into that. Um, but if time and resources were no barrier, what, what kind of solutions would you want to implement in your pharmacy today? Yeah, I see in terms of our, our actual customer sort of functions, the, the biggest problem that we can solve in pharmacy is um, compliance. Uh, if we can figure out a way to actually make the existing customers that we have 100% compliant with their medications, then it's going to have a much bigger effect on sales and turnover of the pharmacy than um, any sort of marketing or discounting or anything else that you might do um, to try and generate new customers is going to have. Uh, we've been using the, the Health Notes software probably for 18 months now with some, some really good success. Um, but I know myself as a, as a patient, if I have to take medications, I'm lucky to take them, well, I'll say two days in three, but that's <laughs> being generous. Um, so in terms of you know, the, the available interfaces with customers, if we can figure out a way to actually make people take their medications when they should be, um, that's going to be important. Um, and in terms of operationally, I think, we probably can't even guess at the moment what the role of a prescription is going to be you know, in 10 years' time with everything going you know, into the cloud and you know, e-prescriptions and, and everything being interconnected. To have somebody walk into your pharmacy with a piece of paper is, seems very um, yeah, industrial age. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think there, there will come a time when, when – we'll finally go, well, you know what, we probably don't need that yellow piece of paper or the green piece of paper. You could um, maybe just give me your Medicare card and we'll look up your prescriptions online and, and supply the ones that you need. Um, so, But again, I mean, it was only 15 years ago I didn't have a fax machine. So in 15 years' time, I think the sort of technologies we might be using potentially either haven't been invented yet or um, are being used in a way which is so remote from our experience that we couldn't possibly envisage how they're going to turn up in our pharmacies. No, absolutely. And look, I think it being the goal of everything, and it's covered a great ground as to what you've mentioned, is that it, even the pharmacy automation, it brings us closer to our our patients and closer to the role that we were essentially designed to do as pharmacists from you know the early ages in being closer to solving problems with our patients. Um, Greg, we've covered a great deal of ground in terms of the, the basics that pharmacy owners should be looking at in making the decision, how you've implemented in your pharmacy and how it's working now and you've just decided to do a second robot as well. I guess if you could leave our listeners with one piece of advice um, when you know, if, if they've just taken inspiration from what we've discussed this morning, what would it be that they consider when they think of pharmacy automation and their pharmacy? Well, I guess to my mind, and I've got, I've got three other businesses there that, that don't have robots, uh, and my, my goal at the moment is to try and get my head around how I can make those pharmacies be able to afford the costs of implementing the the technology because it's it's more there's more to it than just saving the time and saving wages um the fact that it makes the role of the not only the pharmacist but um all of the dispensary staff that much easier means that a you've got happier staff who who are happier to come to work and will stay with you longer but you know more importantly those staff are as we've said, you know, more engaged with the customer. Um, they've got less distractions so they can you know, play the role that, that pharmacists and pharmacies are, are meant to, to play. So personally, I think if you can afford one, get one. Um, if you can't afford one, figure out how you can afford one. Mm, no, very, very good advice. Great having you on the show this morning, Greg, and uh, look forward to following your journey uh, in the not-too-distant future.
Thanks very much, Robert. Cheers. What a way to finish a great interview. I'm sure you're all scratching your head now wondering, how can I get a pharmacy robot into my pharmacy? What a great story. And we look forward to having Greg back once he's got his second robot in his pharmacy. And I'm sure that'll be a great success story to hear about down the track. To fit in three key learnings was difficult. There were so many aspects of Greg's method and uh, learnings that he made himself that he could take away. But I did nut out three key learnings. And the first one is when assessing case studies of pharmacy automation and when you go to pharmacies to actually look at how the robots are working in their pharmacies, watch for the calmness amongst the staff and also the big smiles on the customers as key performance indicators of a successful implementation. I don't think that can be undersold. I always marvel at looking at at an Apple store and standing at the front and watching the smiles and the calm on the Apple store retail assistants' faces when they're in control, got everything at their fingertips, and customers aren't rushing around. No one's pushing each other around the place. No one's upset with any waiting time. And I think that is a, a great exponent of a great piece of technology in play. The second is don't only assess your current script volume and business metrics when you're assessing your business model, whether you're ready to invest in a robot. There are going to be some significant productivity gains which are going to stem from automation such as increased capacity at peak prescription periods, increased pharmacist patient interaction time which can be used to improve the depth of your counselling and the patient experience which could involve complementary products and services as well. Improved job satisfaction of your dispensary techs and pharmacists with less manual tasks and processes in unpacking, restocking shelves, and just generally having a greater purpose around what they're doing in the pharmacy. And three, look at your optimum store design with with a more efficient workflow. An investment in pharmacy automation is a big one and you do need to consider the design of your pharmacy, if not just your dispensary, and how that customer and pharmacist journey can be mapped and catered for. And also, if you've got a dose administration aid service, ideally you want to sit that next next to or near a chute from the robot to optimize, optimize the supply of products. Great initiatives. And uh, we look forward to hearing from Greg in the future. Our app of the week, and if not, uh, program of the week, is around, and we're going to have a little series on the next few episodes around this, is around file storage and synchronization. These are tools I might have mentioned to you going back around LastPass and password management and how I could never imagine working in any environment without that tool at my disposal. Well, another one of those is file synchronization and storage services. Today, we're going to focus on Dropbox. There are quite a number of variants, but I'm not going to muddy the waters by putting them all together in a little snippet um, of a mini transformation. So we're going to talk about that in in both personal and the professional benefits that these things can give you. So it's a case of, have you ever been in a position where you've thought, oh, look, I would have loved to have had that file with me at the pharmacy, but it's on my computer at home and I didn't bring my computer. Or if you're out, out meeting a supplier or going, going to another one, another one of your stores, if you have a group and you haven't brought um, your laptop with you, and you wondered, wouldn't it be great if I could look at that file on my phone? Or I've got this logo and I want to supply that to my graphic, de- graphic designer to tweak it or to improve it or to even place in an ad. All of these things, um, I guess digital assets as well as documents such as your quality care manual. And to be able to also have the confidence that you've got it backed up all the time as well. Well, what Dropbox does, it's like a little pocket. I went back through the original video that they launched Dropbox with and not much has changed in the whole time it's been in development. It still does exactly what it intends to do. It's like a pocket where you can put anything you like into it, be it files, photos, videos, any bit of, any bit of, um, it could even be a zip file of a backup if you choose. And that pocket is then replicated 
on your mobile or tablet device, on any other computer that you synchronize or you add the desktop version of Dropbox on. And so automatically you will get a local and a cloud backup of your files at all times. And if you make a change to a file, it changes it in every single area, which is where the synchronization comes in. It has version control. So if you accidentally make a, make a save a file and it's in the wrong and you want to go back to a previous one, no worries. You can actually access the previous version of that as well. And also, when have you been in a position where you need to send documents it might be to your accountant or perhaps your solicitor or your lawyer or to anyone that requires large files. It might even be an architect and you want to send your shop plans to. You, don't, you can't be able to generally send files bigger than 25 megabytes via email, but you can with Dropbox. You can send a, a dedicated link that only the person receiving the email will receive and they can then download that from the web. So again, you don't need to clog up your inbox as well. And also, you may also be running out of storage for attachments in your email system as well. So it helps to minimize that also. You've also got the capability of collaborating. So your whole team could have an access to the business Dropbox. And it's great now that it's got a personal and also a company version if you're using Dropbox for business. So you can have all your business information in one Dropbox and the personal in the other. And we'll touch on the personal benefits in a moment because I reckon you're going to love them. The mobility aspect is fantastic as well because again, if you've got a mobile, if you've got a smartphone, you can just download the free Dropbox app anywhere, anytime and get access to everything that you've got in there as well. And as I mentioned, there's automatic backup. Plus, if you're using a backup, a local backup solution, like if you're running Mac, like I do, and you've got a time capsule, it automatically uh, backs up a local version of your Dropbox as well. So you're very secure in terms of everything, every system that you have. And the great thing about having something like time capsule and also Dropbox is you never have to think about it. It just happens in the background. And as the late, great Steve Jobs said, it just works beautifully. The personal aspects, which I reckon you'll absolutely love. Who's ever been in a position, and mind you, I do want to say this because this is probably sounding a lot like an ad, but I just love Dropbox. I don't get paid by them, obviously. Um, but who's ever been in a position where you've been on holiday and you thought, oh, geez, I'm taking lots of photos. I hope I don't drop my phone in the pool or, or I lose my phone. Otherwise, I'll lose all my photos. Well, rest, 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 rest assured there is a solution for this. Dropbox on your phone has a great feature which is called the camera upload um, automatic. And what that does is that every time you take a photo on your mobile phone, it will upload a copy of that photo directly to Dropbox. Now you might say, well, that's what iCloud does. Well, it does do that. But it also, but it, again, it, it's, an, it's another thing that... Um, you're putting everything in one place. If you're using lots of different things, like you're using Dropbox for files and you're using iCloud for photos, again, it can be get, getting complicated. So if you just want to put everything in one place, this isn't a bad um, starting point. And plus, you can also um, give your family and friends access to one of those albums as well. So if you're traveling on holidays and your photos are automatically getting uploaded to Dropbox, no worries. Once you sit down for dinner, you don't have to think, well, I have to upload all my photos from today and then send them to the grandparents and um, sisters and brothers. No worries. You can actually just from your phone access those photos and just go, yep, put these in this folder and I'll send them off and they can see exactly what you've done that day. So it's a fantastic thing, really easy to use. And you can in fact also stream audio and um, video from there as well. So if you've got a home media library, in the past we probably would have had to have carried a family album around or loaded some photos on our phones but not be able to access everything in our library. Well again, Dropbox because you can get capacity up to one terabyte. Uh, which is 1,000 gigabytes, um, and I believe you can even go higher um, if, you, if you really need it. Um, you can have your whole family media library with you anywhere, anytime as well. 
Obviously, there might be a, quite a few bored people. No one loved, No one ever liked sitting in front of a slideshow in the past. And obviously, if you've got your whole, whole family's uh, photos in front of you, you might bore someone very quickly. Keep that in mind. Um, but it's a great thing to have at your disposal. Um, it can also interface with some photo book stores as well. Uh, there's some ones where you can just upload photos straight to produce a photo book after you've had a, an event or a holiday. So again, it's it's it's, it's a great um, it's a great thing to be able to link in with some other digital solutions. So we've got a balanced view of our personal and professional benefits of Dropbox. It, to start off, it is free. You, I think you get about three, two to two to two gigabyte free to start with, and uh, if you refer a couple of people, I think you can get up to ten gigabytes for free, which is a huge amount of uh, space to be able to start you off with. And as as you may want to build on that in terms of with the business, and also from a personal perspective, um, you may want to uh, upgrade to some pl- paid plans, which are available. So I hope you get a great benefit from that as well. And um, I look forward to uh, hearing some more comments. Um, it's been ter- uh, The offer is still well and truly open. If you would like to be the first to receive Transformation, the book, which will come out at the end of June, beginning of July, uh, we've got some great stuff in the pipeline. I can't tell you about just yet. The book is getting bigger by the day. Um, there are some bigger and better benefits that are going to come with that book. So I'll keep you up to date over the coming weeks as well. But if you would like to be the first in line, and as, as was promised in the last episode, the first 10 in line, if you would like to head across to iTunes and also put a review in there um, and even ask a question if you like. I'll feature the question on the show, plus you'll be one of the first to get um, a copy of Transformation when when it comes out. I also might mention as well that uh, one of one of my listeners challenged me to whether I could actually listen to get them to listen to Transformation without putting a single click in their phone. Well, I couldn't quite do that, but... What you can do is if you subscribe to Transformation via the iTunes podcast store, you can set it to automatically download the latest episode of Transformation for you without you having to click a button. So that's almost automated. And then to top it off, to be able to listen to Transformation without ever clicking a button, what you can do If you have an Apple phone, I'm sorry if you have an Android, I don't quite know how to do that yet, but I will work it out, is that you can actually get Siri to play it for you. So if you hold down the home key and Siri comes up, if you ask Siri to play transformation for you, she will do that straight away for you. So there's a way to do that do that hands-free. And uh, I'm sure uh, my listener friend who uh, referred me to that challenge is certainly amazed. All right, guys, have a great week. Great speaking with you again, and we'll talk again next week.